Welcome to Words of the Wise, an introduction to the Book of Proverbs by Dr. Jacques B. Ducan. Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Dealing with Fights Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs 17, verse 1, New King James Version. Proverbs again denounces the deception of appearances. We may seem to have everything the world offers, wealth, power, pleasure, and fame. Yet behind the facade, tension and misery flourish. It's even possible that the cause of this tension and misery is precisely the wealth and pleasure that people strive so hard for. Miriam Lichtheim quotes an Egyptian proverb of instructions on page 156 of her book entitled Ancient Egyptian Literature, A Book of Readings, Volume 2, which advises, Better is bread with a happy heart than wealth with vexation. According to the Book of Proverbs, the first step to solve this problem is to recognize what our priorities are. Peaceful relationships are more important than wealth. What counts is not so much what we have, but who we are within ourselves. The advice that we are about to explore will help in restoring this priority and lead you toward an inner peace, shalom in the Hebrew, that will add to your happiness. Proverbs 17 verse 9 and Proverbs 19 verse 11 help to answer these two real-life questions. What crucial point is being made in these texts? And how should we deal with others who fall? Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Proverbs 19 verse 11 The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. So what is the crucial point regarding relationships in these texts? And how should you deal with others who fall? When someone messes up, it's so tempting to spread the story, to tell others, Have you heard about what so-and-so did? Though we might act as if we are appalled by the action, we still like telling others about what happened. In short, we are gossiping. And that's what we're being warned against, because this behavior will generate contention, even between close friends. After all, if a friend of yours messes up, what kind of friend are you if you go around telling others about it? We are encouraged instead to cover the mistake. This is not, however, to imply that we have to hide the sin, to act as if it never happened, as if the person never did wrong. The sin that is covered is still present, even though hidden. In fact, the Hebrew word for cover in that expression has the specific connotation of forgiving that we find in Psalm 85 verse 2. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people, thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Love, not gossip, should be our response to someone else's mistake. How does love help in coping with a friend's mistake? Proverbs 17 verse 17 says, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother 
is born for adversity. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 5 through 7 describes the characteristics of true love which doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not evilly provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. One does not love a friend or spouse because he or she is perfect. We love in spite of their mistakes and flaws. Only through love do we learn not to judge others, because with our own faults and shortcomings we could be just as guilty. Instead, we can mourn with them over what they have done and seek in whatever way we can to help them work through it. After all, what are friends for if not for this? Think about a time you messed up badly and were forgiven, ministered to, and comforted. What does that tell you about how you should do the same for other people? Just. True love is not blind. That we cover someone's mistake through love does not mean that we do not see the sin and do not recognize it as such. Love and justice go together. The Hebrew word for justice, tzedek, also means love, charity. We cannot have real compassion if we are not just, and we cannot be just if we do not have compassion and love. The two concepts must be together. For example, the exercise of charity toward the poor should not be done at the expense of justice. That is why Exodus 23 verse 3 instructs us not to favor the poor in court. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. If love obliges us to help the poor, it would be unjust to favor them when they are wrong, simply because they are poor. Justice and truth should therefore go along with love and compassion. It is this wise balance that characterizes the Torah, the law of God, and which is taught and promoted in the book of Proverbs. Take a few minutes to acknowledge situations that would need the expression of justice and truth. Such situations are described in Proverbs 17 verse 10 and Proverbs 19 verse 25. What do these verses say about the need for rebuke and confrontation? Proverbs 17 verse 10 says, a reproof entereth more into a wise man than an hundred stripes into a fool. Once again, what do these verses say about the need for rebuke and confrontation? First, we have the contrasting labels, wise and fool. A fool takes a lot more physical effort to educate and discipline. That person is high maintenance. They need to be rebuked and confronted with stronger sounding words whereas a wise person listens and acts upon instruction that is directed their way. We would say they are low maintenance. The fact that Proverbs 17 verse 10 immediately follows the call to cover the mistake through love in Proverbs 17 verse 9 is not an accident. This mention of reproof in connection with love places love in the right perspective. The text implies a strong rebuke. John 8 verses 1 through 11 show Jesus dealing with open sin. How does he treat the person being accused and condemned? Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, 
they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us, that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it first, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Ellen G. White on page 462 of The Desire of Ages provides a more detailed between-the-lines expansion of these verses. It is as if you are watching, hearing, and feeling it all in real time. Contemplate these words. In his act of pardoning this woman and encouraging her to live a better life, the character of Jesus shines forth in the beauty of perfect righteousness. While he does not palliate sin, nor lessen the sense of guilt, he seeks not to condemn, but to save. The world had for this erring woman only contempt and scorn, but Jesus speaks words of comfort and hope. The sinless one pities the weakness of the sinner and reaches to her a helping hand. While the hypocritical Pharisees denounce her, Jesus bids her go and sin no more. Again, listen to Proverbs 18. Though you will hear different themes, focus on what this chapter has to say about our words. What important concepts are mentioned regarding what we do or do not say? Proverbs 18 says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. When the wicked cometh, then cometh also contempt, and with ignominy reproach. The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. It is not good to accept the person of the wicked, to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. When the words of a talebearer are as wounds, they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and as a high wall in his own conceit. 
Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear it? The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. The lot causeth contentions to cease, and parteth between the mighty. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. The poor useth entreaties, but the rich answereth roughly. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We are again confronted with the reality and power of words. In this case we see how fools use their mouths to their undoing. Verse 13 is especially enlightening. How easy it is to speak out before carefully listening and discerning what has been said to us. How many times might we have spared ourselves and others undue pain and strife if we had only learned to think through carefully what we had just heard before responding to it. There is indeed a time when silence is the best response. Proverbs 18 verse 4 says, The words of a man's mouth are as a deep water, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. Why are the words of the wise like deep waters? The image of deep waters is used positively in the book of Proverbs to represent wisdom. It conveys the idea of quiet, but also of profundity and riches. The wise are not superficial. They draw their words from the depths of personal reflection and experience. Who hasn't marveled sometimes at the deep thoughts and insights from those who obviously have wisdom and knowledge? Here is another nugget of wisdom. Proverbs 18 verse 21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What does it mean? Perhaps one way to figure it out is to find the variables the things that could end up being involved in a positive or negative experience, namely the tongue and love. Next, we can differentiate outcomes, life or death. Sometimes the end result seems so far distant that we forget about the near-term effects, which this verse refers to as fruits, which seems to indicate the trend or direction, an outward indication of our ultimate goal, either life or death. Proverbs again tells us what we should already know. Our words are powerful, and they can be a force for good or evil, even life and death. How careful we need to be, then, with how we use this powerful tool. Can you remember a time when someone's words hurt you in a terrible way? What did that experience teach you about how powerful words are? Are you careful with your words?
Two Sides to a Story Proverbs 18 verse 2 A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Do you remember the period of time when, like the dawning of a new day, you began to realize that you had, or so it seemed, opinions about everything? Why don't fools need time to form their opinions? Fools are so sure of themselves and so eager to express their own opinions that they are not interested in learning from others. Their closed minds go along with their open mouths. This is a deadly combination. How careful we need to be that we don't find ourselves doing the same thing, especially on a topic that we are convinced we are right about. After all, haven't we all at some point felt very strongly about a subject only to find later on that we were wrong? This doesn't mean that we should be wishy-washy in our views. It means only that we need some humility, in that none of us has all the right answers. And even when our answers are right, truth is often deeper and more nuanced than we can appreciate or understand. What important point is given us in Proverbs 18 verse 17? He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. We naturally think that our opinion is the correct way of thinking. Other people may question our logic and opinions. That's what friends who really value us do. Only God does not need a second opinion, precisely because by his nature he already has it. For as Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, his eyes are everywhere. God has the capacity to see all sides of any matter. We, by contrast, generally have a very narrow view of everything. A view that tends to get even narrower when we get locked into a position, especially on matters that we think are important. As we should know by now, however, there are always two or even more sides to any story. And the more information we have, the better we can form the right view of a subject. Can you think of a time you were absolutely convinced of something? Maybe a view you have held your whole life, only to find out later that you had been wrong the whole time. What should this tell us about our need to be open to the possibility that we could be wrong about things we are fervent about now? Be truthful. A king needed to appoint a new minister for the highest office of his kingdom. For this purpose, he organized a special contest on lying. Who could utter the biggest lie? All his ministers applied, and each one came and spoke their biggest lie. But the king was not satisfied. Their lies seemed lame. The king then asked his closest and most trusted counselor, Why didn't you apply? The counselor answered, I am sorry to disappoint you, Majesty, but I cannot apply. Why not? asked the king. Because I never lie, the counselor replied. The king decided to appoint him for the position. As sinners, lying comes to us easier than we think. For this reason, again, how careful we need to be with our words. Listen to Proverbs 19. Though you will hear her many things, what does it say about lying? Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good, and he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. 
The foolishness of a man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over transgression. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as a dew upon the grass. A foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. He that keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul, but he that despiseth his ways shall die. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, for if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. Hear counsel and receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. The desire of a man is his kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom, and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware, and reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. He that wasteth his father, and chaseth away his mother, is a son that causeth shame, and bringeth reproach. Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. An ungodly witness scorneth judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scorners, and stripes for the back of fools. The book of Proverbs upholds a high ethical standard. It is better to remain poor, or even to lose a promotion, if we have to lie in order to get it, if we have to sacrifice our integrity, if we have to cheat, or if it comes at the price of faithfulness. Proverbs 19 verse 9 says, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. What is the responsibility of a witness? To be a true and honest witness, to tell the truth. Lying in and of itself is bad enough, but doing it in court and under oath is even worse. In many countries, perjury is a crime, and a serious one at that. The witness must therefore give a truthful testimony. It is no accident that this verse follows the mention of the friend to one who gives gifts, Proverbs 19.6, New King James Version, and of the poor who are hated by their friends and even their brothers, Proverbs 19.7, New King James Version. The point is, witnesses must not be influenced by bribes or by the social status of those they are testifying about. What important principle 
can be heard in Deuteronomy 24 verses 10 through 22. And how would you apply this principle to your encounters with the poor and needy? When thou dost lend thy brother anything, thou shalt not go into his house to fetch his pledge. Thou shalt stand abroad, and the man to whom thou dost lend shall bring out the pledge abroad unto thee. And if the man be poor, thou shalt not sleep with his pledge. In any case thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down, that he may sleep in his own raiment, and bless thee, and it shall be righteous unto thee before the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not oppress a hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren, or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thine vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. Let's continue exploring. The spirit of gossip and tale-bearing is one of Satan's special agencies to sow discord and strife, to separate friends, and to undermine the faith of many in the truthfulness of our positions. Brethren and sisters are too ready to talk of the faults and errors that they think exist in others, and, especially, in those who have borne unflinchingly the messages of reproof and warning given them of God. The reference for that assessment is Ellen G. White, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4, page 195. On page 145 of the same book, she wrote, The children of these complainers listen with open ears and receive the poison of disaffection. Parents are thus blindly closing the avenues through which the hearts of the children might be reached. How many families season their daily meals with doubt and questionings? They dissect the characters of their friends and serve them up as a dainty dessert. A precious bit of slander is passed around the board to be commented upon, not only by adults, but by children. In this, God is dishonored.
Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Therefore, Christ is slighted and abused by those who slander his servants. Here are a few introspective questions to ponder. It's always hard when you love or care about someone, and then they really mess up. It's so easy to try to cover up for them, isn't it? How do we strike the right balance in situations like these? Certainly, we need to show grace. As we have been shown grace for our errors, that goes without being said. But does grace always or ever mean that a person can sin with impunity and not face consequences? What then is the right course to take in situations like these? In your life, what are some ways you could be telling a lie without ever saying anything? Most things in life are very complicated and have many facets to them. So even those things we happen to be right about will usually be more complex than we understand them to be. With that being said, how can we learn to be open-minded while at the same time not being foolish about it? Let's pray. Dear God, sometimes when we deal with people and their lives, we can be very foolish. And in our own choices, we have not always been wise. We need your abiding wisdom today. Prompt us. Cue us to live these principles by your Spirit, we pray. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.